Well, good morning. Welcome this morning to New Life Church. So good to see all of you today. In case you're just joining us this month, we are in a series, a sermon message series called Imprint, the Image of Christ. I want to say hi to all of you online watching today, our church family, maybe some folks we've not met before, so thankful that you're tuning in, watching and participating today. Listen, let me invite you to open up your word to the gospel of Luke chapter 2. And then also we're going to be in 1 Peter chapter 5. Luke 2 and then 1 Peter 5. As you get there, I'll just kind of reset this series up with you. It's, as I said, imprint the image of Christ. And what we're doing, we're looking through the Gospel of Luke in chapter 2 this month. And we're exploring the early formative years of Jesus and how that is uh, relatable to us today in our spiritual development, our spiritual growth. We're looking at some of the patterns here uh, that his family took him through as he developed and grew, and the same can apply to us today. And the word imprint, has, it's got such meaning to it. It, it, it means an, an image that is impressed upon something with pressure. And, you know, think about your life, think about situations you go through, how God can and will use those. Romans 8 tells us that he will take things and use them for our good. As long as we are looking to him, to love him and to serve him for the purpose that he has for our life. He has a way of making that happen. The spirit of God does things like that. And then the spirit also works in us uniquely and individually to just impress upon us some things that he wants us to have, that God wants us to have operating and moving and flourishing in our lives, significantly and primarily the image of Jesus, to have the image and the likeness of Jesus be the thing that is the biggest. In our life as a Christian, as a follower of Christ, there should be evidence in our life that Jesus is growing in us developing in us and that we don't just stay the same as always and we like to make excuses for that it's the way I was born it's the way I was raised it's the way I was brought up it's the environment I'm the product of my environment and all of that may be true but the greater truth is that we can all become more and more like Christ if we will let him amen if we will let him I want to preach today a message I've titled, Sharpen My Axe. There was once, there's a story about a woodcutter who went to work in a log mill. The pay was good, the working conditions were good. He met the foreman, the foreman gave him his axe, set him out in a certain part of the forest and said, get to work. Well, on the first day, that woodcutter was excited, full of energy and expectation, and he individually cut down 18 trees big deal. One person, 18 trees in one day, he went to the foreman. The foreman was like, that's great work. Keep that kind of stuff going. We can keep, we we need you around here, so keep up the good work. That excited the woodworker. He thought, you know, I think I can probably do more tomorrow. I'm going to go to bed a little extra early, get up a little early, get out to the forest and, and, and get at it. Well, 
He did. He did that. He went out, but he was only able to cut down 15 trees the next day. He thought, man, I must be worn out from the day before. I'm going to get a little extra rest. I'm going to go to bed at sunset, get up before the sun rises, and I know I can, I can beat my record of 18 trees. Well, he was only able to actually cut down only half of those that day. He thought, well, I'll try again tomorrow, the next day, only seven, then five. Then that last day, he struggled the whole afternoon just to cut down his second tree. He thought, man, something's not right. I'm giving it my all. I know I am. And he went to the foreman, and he was like, wanted to let him know, hey, I'm not slacking here. I'm giving it my best. I, I am swinging this axe like crazy. But that foreman looked at him, and he asked him the question, when was the last time you sharpened your axe? And the foreman went on to tell him, he says, when the axe get dull, when the axe gets dull, we'll spend double the energy to obtain half the results. We have to keep our axe sharpened. Keep our axe sharpened. In this particular context here in Luke chapter 2, we're going to look at a, at a pattern here that God displays in the life of Christ, how this, if applied to our life, if we practice this, it can help keep our acts sharpened. Let's look at this, Luke 2, 22. We covered verse 21 last week. 22 says, It was time for their purification offering as required by the law of Moses after the birth of a child. And Jesus' parents took him to Jerusalem. This was about just a matter of days after being born. So they took him to Jerusalem to present him to the Lord, to dedicate him to the Lord. It says, the law of the Lord says, if a woman's first child is a boy, he must be dedicated to the Lord. So they offered the sacrifice required in the law of the Lord, either a pair of turtle doves or two young pigeons. Now, in this case, the dedication of Jesus was required by spiritual law. And I want to look at that today in, in, in this perspective, the dedication of his life to God as a way of looking at it through the lens of accountability, spiritual account accountability. And in this case, the law said, hey, make him accountable, dedicate him to the Lord. And in the New Testament, in our case moving forward, in our cases today, we don't have to do it. You don't have to do any of that. It's not our spiritual law in the sense it's you don't you won't be righteous or unrighteous if you do it or don't do it. Here's what I'm getting at. I'm not talking about the act of dedicating our children to the Lord as the literal here was. I want to move along and look at it more in the in, in, in the act of faith, making our lives accountable to the Lord. And how in that if practiced if practiced, then what can happen is our acts won't get dull. Our acts will remain sharp so that you and I can spiritually, we can live life and cut through life the way God says we can cut through life and make it through and progress forward and grow in the Lord and be everything that he has called us and created us to be. Now, the, the thing about accountability is it's really not preached or taught on a whole lot in some of the things I hear. It's not a thing we just like to casually sit around. What are you accountable to today? 
how, who are you accountable to today? How are you making yourself accountable today? It's not just everyday common talk, but it is a New Testament practice in the, in the part of the flow of the kingdom of God to be accountable in our life. And we're going to look at 1 Peter 5 and how he lays out three layers of spiritual accountability. We're going to look at these. 1 Peter 5, I'm going to actually read this text out of the Passion Translation. And he lays out these three layers. And let's look at the first few verses. Verse 1 says, Peter writes, Now, I encourage you as an elder, an eyewitness of the sufferings of Christ, and one who shares in the glory that is about to be unveiled, I urge my fellow elders among you, be compassionate shepherds who tenderly care for God's flock, who feed them well. For you have the responsibility to guide, protect, oversee. Consider it a joyous pleasure and not merely a religious duty. Lead from the heart under God's leadership, not as a way to gain finances dishonestly, but as a way to eagerly and cheerfully serve. Don't be controlling tyrants, but lead others by your beautiful examples to the flock. And when the chief shepherd king appears, talking about Jesus, you will win the victor's crown of glory, and that never fades away. The first layer that Peter lays out about spiritual accountability that we can make ourselves, who we can make ourselves accountable to are those called elders in the church. Spiritual leaders, pastoral leaders, and we're going to look at those definitions here in a moment, or the, the names of all of them. But he, he lays this out and he says, but they can't just be any kind of elder. They have to be compassionate. They have to be caring. They have, they have to be able to feed the flock well with the word of God. They have to, they guide them. They, they lead them. They protect them. They oversee them. They lead from the heart under God's leadership, meaning they don't just do what they want. They lead by the way God leads them. They're not dishonest. They're not controlling. They lead by example. They lead by example. Ephesians 4 brings a little bit more clarity to this. Let's look at that. Ephesians 4 out of the Passion, verse 11 says, Christ has appointed some with grace to be apostles, some with grace to be prophets, some with grace to be evangelists, some with grace to be pastors, and some with grace to be teachers. Their calling is to nurture and to prepare all the holy believers to, their, to do their own works of ministry. And as they do this, they will enlarge and build up the body of Christ. These grace ministries will function in, until we all attain oneness into the faith, until we all experience the fullness of what it means to know the Son of God, and finally that we become one into a perfect man with the full dimensions of spiritual maturity and fully developed into the abundance of Christ. A mouthful, I know. whole lot there. But here's what he's getting at. These church leaders, also known as elders, are called to equip the church to equip them and empower them, the body of Christ, to be able to do the work of God's ministry through their own life and the purpose that God has created them for, to be builders of the church, to build up the church, to exhort the church, not tear people down, but help build people up to be and to accomplish everything God wants for their life, to help believers to uh, spiritually mature and spiritually develop, to grow into the, as it says, the abundance of, 
of Christ. To have the abundance of the life, the image of Christ imprinted in their life. So that's what they do. He says in 1 Peter 5 that they lead with compassion, etc. And then in Ephesians 4 tells them basically this is the role, if you will, the context of what they and how they do it. And then in Hebrews 13, out of the message, gives us how, as part of a church, how can we then live accountable to elders. Let's look at this. Hebrews 13, 7 in the message says, Appreciate your pastoral leaders who gave you the word of God. Take a good look at the way they live. Let their faithfulness instruct you as well as their truthfulness. There should be a consistency that runs through us all. For Jesus doesn't change yesterday, today, tomorrow. He's always totally himself. I love how the message puts all of that as as one. The Bible's written with verses and chapters so that we can kind of follow and track it in a way and where certain things might stop and, and start thoughts do that, but then where the way it was originally written was just seamlessly. And I love how the message does that. And he puts that, that verse that we quite frequently talk about. Jesus is the same yesterday, today, and forever. It doesn't change. But how he puts that with how we live our, our life, living accountable to, to our church leaders. And here's, here's what he says how to do that. Living accountable to them means you appreciate them. You, you look up to them. You respect them. You learn from them. And in doing so, then that, that builds a consistency through all of us to be like Jesus who doesn't change yesterday, today, or forever. He's always totally himself. You ever have days where you just don't really totally feel yourself? Anybody? I'm the only one. I'm the only one I'll preach to myself today. But here's what, ha- here's what is possible when we live this way. A consistency can be built in us. To be able to be who Jesus made us to be. And who he designed us to be. That when we live this way. Now, I'm not preaching a message for you to like me more for you to appreciate me or other elders in our church more. I hope and pray that happens. People like to be appreciated. People like to be, you know, shown thankfulness, etc. That's, that's not the goal of this main point here. The goal of this main point is for all of us to live in a way of, accountab- of accountability in the sense that we know what can happen and what comes from it. I'm thankful for elders and leaders in my life over the years, how, how they have helped me uh, not be stupid. How when I wanted to be stupid, and I thought it was a good idea to be stupid because stupid made good sense at the time, that they talked to me compassionately. They cared for me. They led me. They, they, they helped exhort me in the right way. Not their way, but the way that they felt that really the way my, that God was wanting to lead my life. They, you know, the thing about leaders is they can see a little bit further down the road than the rest of us. They have a way to kind of look ahead. They have a way to kind of see around the corner a little bit. Now, not, not totally, but they've been around the block. They kind of know what certain roads can lead to. And so 
having conversations with some of my leaders, especially early years when I was just getting into college, stepping into accepting God's call on my life to serve him in the church as a pastor, I had this, what I thought was a vision, and it probably was, it excited me. It excited me. Vision should excite you. And, and so I shared that with one of my leaders, and, and I had this whole plan drawn out how God was going to use me to travel, especially throughout the whole United States, to, and, and preach to conferences of youth all, and students all across the states. And there was going to be revival fires all across the United States. And I even had a name for it. It was called High Impact Ministries. And I thought, this is what God wants me to do, man. I'm going to go to school, go to college, graduate, and, and I'm just going to launch this thing, and this thing's going to take off, and uh, it, fire's just going to light behind me, man. It's going to be amazing. Well, obviously, I, I was wrong, and the, the vision itself excited me. It was a little, little skewed because of, of, of naivety, immaturity, lack of some growth and development, etc., and a few other stupid things in my life. But thankful for leaders who didn't just say, squash it, can it, that's stupid. How about you just yield that for a season and surrender that to God for a little bit longer and pray over it, and while you're doing that, why don't you just make yourself completely available to serve in the church and see what God will make of it? Well, thankfully, that was good, sound wisdom because I would have made a fool of myself and made some really bad decisions, and ultimately, I would not have met my beautiful bride. I would have moved away, missed that opportunity, and, wouldn't, and I wouldn't even be here today. Wouldn't even be here today. You wouldn't even know me. At least, I don't think you would. Some of you may not want to know me. I don't know. But thankful for elders making myself accountable to them that they took that and helped me make some more informed decisions. Not be impatient. Not be hasty. God wants to use you. But He wants to use you in progress. There are phases and places where you're at right now that God will and can use you where you're at. But he will also drop some thoughts and drop some knowledge bombs in you about the future. But it doesn't mean that means you got to do it right then. It doesn't mean it's right for that moment. You need to surrender it and let the Lord marinate it a little bit and talk to your leaders about it and talk to your elders about it and pray about it, etc. And so that's what happened with me. And here I am today. And I'm thankful because that same elder who... who uh, set with me then, is still a part of my life today. Still calls and checks on me, still makes himself available to me, and still is there to pray for me and encourage me along the way. That's what I believe a big thing that elders do. Here's the thing, not, not all churches have good elders. Not all elders have good people. It takes great effort. It takes great sincerity. And it takes great humility for it all to come together. And that's what leads us to our next one. The next layer of accountability is each other. We have elders, 
God says we also have each other. Look at verse 5, 1 Peter 5, 5. In the same way, the younger ones should willingly support the leadership of the elders. And then it says, in every relationship, each of you must wrap around yourself the apron of a humble servant because God resists you when you are proud, but multiplies grace and favor when you are humble. I want the multiplication of grace and favor on my life. I don't want God to resist me. I want him to grace me and favor me and multiply it in my life. The New King James Version says, says in your relationships, be submissive to one another in humility. You know, humility, I heard someone say this once before, humility is not thinking less of yourself, but thinking of yourself less. Because true, you, we're not called to be a doormat. We don't, God doesn't call you to just let everybody walk all over you. And I'm just thinking of myself, thinking less of myself. I'm just not worthy. I just don't deserve it. I'm not valuable. That, that's not humility. That's called false humility, which is also the same as pride. And pride gets you resistance, but real humility gets you the multiplication of God's grace and God's favor in your life so that you can accomplish things that you can't really do on your own but needs the supernatural help and assistance of God. There are things you and I can't do on our own. We must have His help. And He gives us His help also through one another. Through one another. Let's go back to the main text here in Luke 2. And we're going to look at the next part of this process that Jesus goes through, that his family walks through, this, this part of accountability to one another. Now, uh, starting in verse 25, Luke 2. Now, here's the thing. His parents already had the angel of the Lord personally visit them prior to him being born. As Mary said yes, then she conceived by the Holy Spirit. But the angel said, he's going to be great You're going to name him Jesus. He's going to save many from their sins. He's going to do this. He's going to do that. And they both, Joseph and Mary, both had an angel visit them. Now, that's pretty hard to top, right? So they had this firsthand knowledge visitation from from an angel. And now, here's the thing. They could have lived and thought, we don't really need anybody else. We had the angel of the Lord talk to us. What's anybody else going to say to me and to us that we don't already know? Don't raise your hands, but you know anybody like that? What's anybody else got to say to me that God can't say to me? He already has. Now, thankfully, they show us that's not the route and the pattern they took for their life. They took the road of humility. And that's where the prophecies of Simeon and Anna come into play. Just check this out real quick. I'm going to speed read. It says, verse 25, At that time there was a man in Jerusalem named Simeon. He was righteous, devout, eagerly waiting for the Messiah to come and rescue Israel. And the Holy Spirit was on him, and he revealed to him that he would not die until he had seen the Lord's Messiah. And that day the Spirit led him to the temple, the same temple where Mary and Joseph were, and they took the baby to, uh, to, to the Lord as the law required. In verse 25, Eight, Simeon was there. He took the child in his arms, praised God, saying, Sovereign Lord, now let your servant die in peace as you have promised. I've seen your salvation, which you prepared for all people. He is a light to reveal God to the nations. He is the glory of your people Israel. 
And then look at verse 33. Jesus' parents were amazed at what was being said about him. That still was good news to them. You might have heard something great before, may have heard something similar before, but God uses somebody else to say it just a little bit differently and it gets your attention, meaning you don't know it all, you don't have it all, you can't contain it all. That God wants to get more to you through other people. So we can't live secluded and isolated and apart from everybody. Then look at verse 34. Simeon blessed them and he said, Mary, this child is destined to cause many in Israel to fall. He will be a joy to many others. He has been sent as a sign from God. Many will oppose him. Could have been like, yeah, yeah, I got it. I know that. But she didn't. She listened. And as a result, the deepest thoughts of many hearts will be revealed. A sword will pierce your very soul. And then here comes Anna. A prophet. Look at her background. She was in the temple. She was a daughter from the tribe of Asher. She was old. It says very old. Her husband died when they had been married only seven years. She got mad at God, offended, left the church, never came back. This, this woman had, had something different going on. It says she lived as a widow for 84 years. Never left the temple, stayed there day and night, worshiping God, fasting and praying. That's her background. She came along just as Simeon was talking with Mary and Joseph, began praising God and talked about the child to everyone who had been waiting expectantly for God to rescue Jerusalem. Two common people. They didn't have titles. They didn't have positions in the church from what we know, like real ones. They just served the Lord, sought God for the welfare of God's people, made themselves available to just be used of the Lord, however God would use them to help and strengthen, encourage and comfort others. And here they were, at the right time, at the right place for this Messiah, this Jesus as a baby to be brought in, to be made accountable to the Lord, to the elders. And here you see how God uses each other in our life. If we're not prideful, we can be able to, we can receive from other people that God puts in our life. And we gain so much. This story shows us we can gain so, so much that if we will just humble ourselves and open our life up to one another in the Lord, as, as uh, Peter says, to be submissive to one another in humility, how we can actually hear what somebody else has to say to us. And the takeaway from this is we can be strengthened. When we open our life up to one another, make ourselves accountable to one another, we can be strengthened. You know, there are strength in numbers. Ecclesiastes 4 tells us that a cord of three is not easily broken. There is strength in numbers when we are really involved and engaged in one another's life. You know, we, can't, we, can't, we cannot think that, man, I can do God by myself. Personally, you get saved for your soul, your soul. No one else is responsible for your soul but you to the Lord. But the layout of life 
is reserved for God to plant people in your, in your path and for you to be planted in other people's path so that we can help and strengthen one another. And then we also gain encouragement. We gain encouragement from others. I don't, you know, we get that kind of encouragement when you're down. Ecclesiastes also tells us when one is down, the other one is up. We gain encouragement from one another. We can encourage one another to keep going, to keep believing, to keep hoping, to keep praying, to keep going with what God has. Chin up. Keep yourself looking ahead. Eyes up to the Lord from where your help comes from. We, we, we know what it's like to have some of those people in our life. And without those kind of people in our life, it would be kind of difficult. It would be very, very difficult for people to come along. You ever, you ever been in a place where you just said to the Lord, I just need somebody to say something good to me today. And then somebody says something good to you that day. Who do you think did that? God. God does that. God has people reserve for each one of our circles. And when we let those people into our circle, come on, on our darkest day of life, that circle creates a light and creates hope and it creates encouragement to keep moving. Keep moving. Keep moving. And sometimes you might feel like they're pulling you to move. Sometimes it may feel like they're pushing you to move. Sometimes it may feel like they're tricking you to move. But they know if they can get you just to move, that's what it takes. And so I know sometimes we, be, we, we get mad at other people. We get, we get upset when people try to get into our circle. Mind your own business. You got enough going on in your world, quit worrying about mine. But living that way, day in and day out, will only harden our hearts. And will only keep God's grace at bay and not at operation in our life. Because there is a thing called grace and God's favor that will do infinitely more than you and I could ever ask or imagine. And it's amazing how he will use people, others, in the circle of faith to be that kind of encouragement. And we also gain comfort. We get comfort through other people. We get comfort. We get, we get the support. We get their prayers. We get their help. We get their care. And God will also use other people to bring comfort in a way that's called confirmation. God, am I headed in the right direction? boom, somebody pops in our path, in our circle. God uses them to bring confirmation. Mary and Joseph. I mean, as amazing as this story was supernaturally, here they are in the natural trying to flesh this thing out, trying to walk this thing out. And God sends somebody named Simeon and Anna, an old man who prayed for a long time, don't let me die till I see the Messiah born. And Anna, who who was a widow for 84 years, just serving the Lord in the temple, fasting. And here they are on that day. God uses them to confirm things in their life. 
And then lastly, I got to get to this last point. You guys with me? Talking about spiritual accountability. Our God uses these to sharpen our acts. Elders, each other. Thirdly, God Himself. God Himself. Verse 6 of 1 Peter 5. He says, if you bow low in God's awesome presence, He will eventually exalt you as you leave the timing in His hands. Pour out all your worries and stress upon Him. Leave them there, for He always tenderly cares for you. You know, ultimately, yes, we are all accountable to God. Whether we believe it or not, whether we want to or not, That's just how it is. He made it all. Our relationships with our elders and with each other are are created and should be created in a way that drive us and point us in a direction to have a stronger relationship with the Lord. That's how you know those are good context of relationships. People who point you to Jesus. People who strengthen your walk with Jesus. Okay? Those are the ones that should be the closest to you. All right? Those are the ones who should, we should surround ourselves with as much as we can and us doing the same for others. To lead us in that and point us in that, to put our life into the life of Jesus. And that's what Peter says, putting our life into God's hands. It actually, it actually leads to an exalted life where God will raise us up, where God will elevate us. When I'm down and I go through a time where I'm down in due season, God lifts me up. We're not always going to be down. You might be down today, but you will not always remain down because God himself in his, in his time and by his hands will exalt you and raise you that the situation and the worry and the stress of your life right now will not... I declare to you today, it will not overtake you. It will not rob you. It will not paralyze you. It will not steal from you. It will not hold you and hijack you. No, God's greater than that. God's bigger than that. And God sees you in that. And if you will humble yourself into his hands, he will in his time lift you, raise you, elevate you. Because last time I checked... God is a God of resurrection, turning life, turning death back into life, rolling stones away in our world, causing us to come out of darkness and into light, causing us to come out of pits and stand on mountains. When we do that, when we humble ourselves into God's hands, Live accountable, acknowledgingly, willingly live that way. Also, he says, when we put ourselves into God's hands, it gives God permission to then actually take care for us. Take care of us. Anybody ever had God take care of you when you didn't really know where that need was met or how it even came about? It just showed up. It just happened. Now, he might have used a person nine times out of ten, but you didn't even know it. You didn't even tell him. God just did it. Or maybe a stressful situation 
in life, you name it, marriage, children, work, school, people, period. There was this things going on. But you saw God's hand take care of you. How he leads. When you don't know which way to go, but you trust God to lead you, he leads you. And these thoughts come into your mind to make this choice, that decision, go this way, stop here, stay there. That's the Holy Spirit. How he will do that. How he oversees, provides, and does so many things in our life. You see, making ourselves accountable helps to keep our acts sharpened so that the image of Jesus will be crisp and clear in us to those around us. To those around us. And in closing, verse 40 of Luke 2 said, Mary and Joseph and Jesus went home back to Nazareth So the child grew up, he grew up healthy, strong, filled with wisdom. God's favor was on him. Grew strong in spirit. Grew strong in the grace and favor and the wisdom of God for his life. It gives us this example That if you and I want to grow strong in spirit, filled with wisdom, God's grace being multiplied and favor being multiplied on our life to live this life for Him, we got to surrender ourselves to these layers of accountability, our elders, each other, and God Himself. You see, God clearly lays it out. It's not just Him. He also puts leaders in our life. And he puts people in our life. We need all of these working in us. So that at the end, 1 Peter 5, verse 8, out of the Amplified, just listen and watch this. Peter writes, Be well balanced, temperate, sober of mind. Be vigilant and cautious at all times. For that enemy of yours, the devil, roams around like a lion roaring in fierce hunger seeking someone to seize upon and devour. Withstand him. Be firm in faith against his onset, rooted, established, strong, immovable, determined, knowing that the same identical sufferings are appointed to your brotherhood, the whole body of Christians throughout the world. If we want to live well-balanced, to be able to be vigilant, able to withstand and to be firm against the devil, then we need to keep our acts sharpened. Quit trying to go solo in this life. Quit trying to go that way by yourself. Quit trying to think I can do this. I can handle this. I got this. Yeah, you might. That's good to have some of that confidence. But pour in some Godfidence. 
Let your church leaders in your life. Let them speak more into you than just once a week. Open your life up to relationship with each other. Yield to the complete sovereignty of God's work in your life. He says, and it leads to you being this way. Established. Strong. Such words. Immovable. Freaking immovable. Man, make me immovable, God. Not stubborn, hard-headed, prideful, immovable. Make me the kind of immovable that when the enemy floods in my life, I won't move. I won't budge. I'll be holding strong to the anchor of my life, Jesus. I'll be determined. That got me last time. But it will not take me this time. I got low last year. But by the grace of God, I will not live low this year. I lived weak last year. But by the strength of my Lord, I will not live weak this year. I lived isolated last year. But by the work of the Spirit of my life, I will put myself out there to be vulnerable to others this year. Because God loves you too much to see you try to make it on your own. God cares about you too much to see you do this thing all by yourself. Come on, He set us up for success. He set us up for victory. He set us up for strength. He set us up to overcome. Elders are for you. We might tell you some things that you don't like, but they're good for you. Elders do that. Leaders do that. But leaders will also lead you, encourage you, and spur you on. And so will this church with one another. We are and will continue to be a body of believers that are involved in each one another's lives, that care about each other, that pray for one another, that bring strength, encouragement, and comfort to one another. And it will be marked on our life. God is evident in me. God is evident in me. God is evident in my life. I look to Yahweh. I look to my God. I look to Him to source me, to strengthen me, to provide for me, to lead me, to look out for me, to care for me, to give me what I need. And sometimes it comes in the form of other people. Let's stand to our feet. It's 11.36. We've been here one hour and six minutes. Some of you that came in late, you've been in here less than that. I know this is going to be choppy, but can the whole band come back? I know it's like not planned. But I would love to end with Yahweh. And I just let this song bounce in your spirit. Let the the melody of this song run free in your heart today. Because God is the one we have to look to. He is holy and filled with splendor. Our God 
Amen. Well, that's a good note to end on today.